This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of November 29th, 2021, uh, through December 3rd, 2021. And on Monday, we have the contestants Andrea Aswahe, a podcast producer from Alston, Massachusetts, Nishanth Iyengar, a resident physician from Ronkonkoma, New York, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose eight-day cash winnings total $295,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, 19-something, play characters, need to know, that's need, K-N-E-A-D, helping the planet, he had a hat, and in other words, run. Amy avoided adding a letter to uh, Greta Thunberg's name. Mm-hmm. We've seen some misses on that in the past when people said Thurnberg. I can't remember who it was or when it was. But it, it was fairly recently. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, Greta Thunberg is fairly recent. Like, I, as, yes. as a human. I, I didn't mean in the last few item. years. I meant yeah. probably in the last few months. Yeah, but. Last, last few months. Yeah. Can we refer to young people as recent humans? <laughs> sure. I don't know if that makes me sound older or not. But it, uh, yeah, probably it makes you sound older to the recent humans. And also just weird, probably. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, hey, I knew the 14 points uh, clue because of your deep dive. That's on right. That way back. Way Was back. Was it the... At the 800 level of 19-something, the clue was on January 8th, 1918, Woodrow Wilson made this numerical declaration of peace proposals that included a general association of nations. And Andrea knew that one. It's the 14 points. And we had a deep dive on that. Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. It feels like a long time ago. I think it might have been like one of our first like 10-ish episodes. I can see that. Uh, that need to know category was, uh, I enjoyed it because, uh, we just, we just got through with the most recent season of Great British Baking Show. Oh, nice. Yeah. I believe Holla made an appearance in there. Mm-hmm. I know Fakasha did in the finale. No spoilers, though. Mm-hmm. So, Daily Double number one is in the play characters category at the $400 level. Amy finds it at pick number eight. Uh, she's at 2200 Nishanth is at 1400 and Andrea is at negative 600 and she wagers all 2200 and gets the clue. She says, "'Tis brief, my lord," to which Hamlet replies, "'As a woman's love.'" And she gets correct with who is Ophelia, the only woman in actually in the play? I guess his mother is in it. Yeah. I think there are only two women in Hamlet, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I'm having a hard time thinking of any others, although... Although really, most Shakespearean casts are actually quite small. Yeah. Not not many characters. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Amy has established a good lead like normal at 12,400. Nishant is at 800 and Andrea is at 4,200. With the double Jeopardy categories, Jesus and Nero, travel and tourism, the animal kingdom, 
words and phrases. We've got that band's number, and who's your CO? C O in quotation marks. I feel like I should say something about Jesus and Nero, but I don't know. It was it was a solid and straightforward category, but you know nothing especially that I that I thought was needed expanding on. Sure. I'll talk about the $1,600 clue, though. Uh, mm, yeah. Suetonius said that Nero resented nothing so much as being called a wretched player of this harp-like stringed instrument. And Trey got it correct. That's a liar. Uh, the like saying is that Nero fiddled as Rome burned, but that would have required that particular instrument to have been invented thousands of years mm. earlier. Or at least hundreds. Uh, not thousands. Or hundreds of years earlier. Um I mean, the fiddle as we know it is actually is you know five hundred years old at at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were Middle Eastern versions, the Rebek and and the bowed strings in the Far East earlier than that. But I don't know that we have them traced all the way back to you know like the early like zeros, the aughts, and 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 the hundreds. See, Ken admitted that he doesn't know what the plural of mongoose is. Which is fine, because I don't think anybody knows what the plural of mongoose actually is. But he just said it out loud. Mongoose. No. (laughs) Manga. I think it's manga. Yes, there we go. Uh, The Um, the clue was in the animal kingdom. Meerkats aren't felines, they're in the family named for these cobra fighters. And Andrea said, what are mongooses? mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ken said that we don't know what it is. Yeah. I um, I think it may have been during that clue that I realized that somehow the word mongoose and the word meerkat just lived together in my brain, and I don't think that I had realized there were two separate words. Okay. Yeah. Andrea rang in and said, mongooses, and I was like, well, that was already in the clue. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, no, it wasn't. That's funny. Yeah. Daily Double number two comes up at the $1,200 level of travel and tur- tourism at as the second pick. Um, and Amy finds it. She has 14000 at this point. Uh, Andrea is at 4200 Nishanth is at negative 800 And Amy wagers 4000 and gets the clue to visit the vineyards of Chianti Classico. Visit this one of Italy's 20 reg- regioni regions and amy gets it correct with tuscany the only italian region you need to know because mm. <laughs> like name another one yeah i know names of cities and if they happen to be also be the name of the region then i guess i'm in luck but is P- piedmont piedmont is that i mean foothills yes, yes up north what about is the is lombardi Cinque- Cinque Terre is that? Uh, I have never heard of that, but sure. It is. Uh, Cinque Terre is not one of the regions. I think it's just in. It is a coastal area. Uh, the Papal States is that still a thing? I do not know. I'm just kidding. I think that's from Renaissance. Uh, yes, there we go. <laughs> 
Uh, Daily Double number three is in the, uh, we've got that band's number category at the $1,600 level. Amy finds this one as well. It's only pick number six, so it's still early in the round. Uh, but she's already up to 19200 over Nishant's Maya's 800 and Andrea's 5400 and she wagers 4000 gets a clue. Matt Healy, lead singer of These Brit Rockers, was born 14 years after the year in their name. And she guesses a year, which is what I would have done too. Which is, what is 1945? But that is mm-hmm. 1975. Speaking of things that I learned during the clue, I had, I, I was like, I don't know if I, you know, I'm going to be able to figure out what this is. And then I heard the name of the band and I was like, I believe I'm hearing that for the first time. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> to my knowledge, that band never existed before. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy's in a lock position with 30,000. Nishant is at 5,200. Andrea's at 5,800. And we have the final Jeopardy category, 19th century literature. And the clue, its first line says, The good people of Paris were awakened by a grand peal from all the bells in the three districts of the city. Nishant has correctly responded what is the hunchback of notre dame and he wagers zero andrea came up with what is les miserables uh ken notes um that it's a it's a good guess because it is also set in paris uh she's wagered 3200 so she drops down she's gonna finish in third place and amy has the correct response and has wagered 17000 bringing her up to $47,000 and giving her her ninth win. Yeah. I also thought Les Miserables because the fact that there are multiple bells, like from all the districts, mm-hmm. pointed me away from Hunchback. Because mm-hmm. I was like, well, he's just one guy. Yeah. I thought it was like alerting a prison, you know, a prisoner escape mm-hmm. or something like that, which, yep. really, which led me to Jean Valjean. But alas, I was wrong. Good thing I wasn't on the board. On the board. On the stage. Yeah. All right. uh, So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Chris Fisher, a retired substitute teacher from Mendota Heights, Minnesota. Pam Schoenberg, a dentist and entrepreneur from South Salem, New York. And Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose nine-day cash winnings are now $342,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, a sweet read, fill in the phrase, sound serious. Johnny Gilbert is the action movie character, where Johnny Gilbert read the quote of the character. Uh, Splitting hairs and black on the map, black in quotation marks. Splitting hairs was about uh, subtle differences between two hairstyles. That was a clever, clever uh, idea. Yep. Agreed. We had clues that dealt with the difference between a top knot and a man bun, a weave versus hair extensions, a bouffant versus a beehive. That was a was a good gimmick and a, a less common trivia kind of thing, mm-hmm. not a history or whatever kind of category. Yeah, how'd you do in the action ca- character? Category? Poorly. I oh. so I knew the Terminator. Um, Presumably, they would not have taken the guy from Die Hard, but I did get that far at least. <laughs> um, and I don't. Similarly, I don't think they would have taken the guy from Three Hundred, but I did get that far. I knew Dirty Harry, and I came up with Spartacus, which is not correct at the thousand dollar level. Not Maximus. Yeah, I couldn't remember if there was an if there was like his 
if you had a last name. So I was like, Maximus something. But it's just Maximus. So I was like, cool. Got it. Yeah. Did did you get them all? Yes. Yes, Congrats. I did. I felt very good about myself, especially mm-hmm. with King Leonidas. Yeah. We saw 300 in the theater multiple times. Mm. Wow. That's a it, <laughs> yes. commitment. It is an entertaining movie. It is an entertaining movie. Like, like we can, you can criticize all you want about historical accuracy or like overly stylized and whatever. Yeah, three hundred is not like here for historical accuracy. That's not what it's about. And and like you know, melodrama and and all that. You're you're all of that criticism is absolutely valid. It was also entertaining beyond Mm -hmm. belief. Yeah. I feel like I should now supply the name of the diehard guy. Uh, oh, John, John McClane. Yeah. John McClane is the guy. Where do you stand on the is Die Hard a Christmas movie debate, Kyle? I think we've talked about this, but it absolutely is a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. You're correct. I mean, he writes ho, ho, ho on the guy. So. <laughs> How else? Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the a sweet read category at that $1,000 level. And... Pam finds it at the ninth pick. Uh, she has 2,600 at this point to Amy's 600 and Chris's 1,000, and she makes it a true daily double. Um, you could really, like, Pam was up there, like, very serious. You could tell that, like, Pam Pam had not just been like, oh, there's a super champ, you know. No, she Good, like she, she was, like, there to play. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she gets the clue. Roald Dahl imagined the cherries in his Buckinghamshire orchard getting bigger and bigger, inspiring this 1961 novel. And she gets that one correct. It is James and the Giant Peach. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, um, Pam is in a very solid lead with 11,200. Amy's at 3,800. Chris is at 2,600. Um, and we have the Double Jeopardy categories, award-winning women, TV, science, odd but true, the Civil War, Roman mythology, and ends in EX. Yes, I liked I don't know. I like this board. Yeah. I don't know. Don't know why. Oh, I do know why. I know exactly why. Because the $400 level of the Civil War pointed out a thing that's a pet peeve of mine for no reason other than being pedantic. Known as the CSS Virginia, when it fought the Monitor, the South's first ironclad was built from the captured USS this, and that is Merrimack. When they fought, the ironclad is the CSS Virginia. The Monitor did not fight the Merrimack. Mm. And that doesn't really matter, because if you say Monitor and Merrimack, everyone's going to know what you're talking about. So for the purpose of, like, conveying actual knowledge, it's entirely pointless. Mm -hmm. But that's just one of those things that all of us trivia people have. Second Daily Double is in the Civil War category at the $800 level. Amy finds it. It's pick number seven. Uh, She is up to 7,400, still behind Pam's 14,000 and Chris's 2,600. She wagers 6,000. Gets the clue, it was the largest and westernmost of the 11 Confederate states. She took her time to think about it, but she got it correct with what is Texas. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's the largest. But you don't want to be caught out in case, you know, like, was it it really? But yeah, it is. So So she closes the gap with Pam. Yep. And then Pam finds Daily Double number three as uh, the 15th pick at the $1,600 level of ends in EX. Uh, I'm feeling some feeling some sympathy with Pam here. Uh, 
<laughs> Why? Uh, so at this point, um, Pam's at 16,000, Amy's at 15,000, Chris is at 4,600, Pam wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. In math, these two words are often used interchangeably for the top point of a figure like a cone. She comes up with what is the apex and, and then can't think of the second one and runs out of time. The apex and the vertex is what we're mm. looking for here. Yeah. Um, think sympathy sympathy for pam is kicking an extra for me because like tanking on daily double three was an experience i had i don't remember that (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so at the end of the double jeopardy round uh amy has gotten herself up to twenty five thousand. uh pam is at sixteen thousand six hundred, and chris is at fifty four hundred. we have the final jeopardy category international friendship and the clue the organization these international was founded in 1956. Their Partnerstadt in Germany and Ville in France. I have absolutely no clue. Chris got it correct with what our sister cities originally wrote twinned, but cross that out. Uh, and that is correct. And she adds 3,000 to her score. Pam wrote just what did not offer a guess uh but she only wagered 300 which ken points out was a smart wager Mm -hmm. because amy was probably going to make a cover bet and that was accounting for the cover bet uh but amy got it correct with what her sister cities and wagered thirteen thousand, which was a cover bet and quite a bit actually Mm. she still wasn't in danger of Chris catching up from third place if she got it wrong. So, it, I mean, she was in the range of it being fine. But she wins with 38000 Yeah. So on Wednesday, we have the contestants David Miller, a communications director from Decatur, Georgia, Jamie Carlson, a robotics scientist from Boston, Massachusetts, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 10-day cash winnings at this point total 380200 And we have the Jeopardy round categories, the Mid-Atlantic States, Pulitzer Prize winners, Hunter slash Gatherer, the company's product, pronounce it the way we want, and the pronunciations do need to be correct here. And putting you through some hoops. Hoops was a basketball category, but <laughs> pronouncing things correctly on Jeopardy also is, is putting them through some hoops. I think that's, figuratively, I agree, yeah. yeah. I think that was the that was the the joke there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These poor people on the J archive had to <laughs> had to figure out how to how to spell the phonetic um, pronunciations. Um, of pronounce it the way we want. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So in, in that pronounce it the way we want category, um, the way that worked. Uh, so for example, the $200 clue, which is where they started the round, the third person singular of to do becomes this group of animals. So the response they were looking for was does, D-O-E-S, uh, the third person singular of to do is does which is also d-o-e-s so i can't remember what the word is i think there's a word for like kind of the converse of like homophones right like 
one one spelling two possible pronunciations um yes. yeah and i don't remember what that word is i'm sure somebody can help us out on twitter yeah so we we had uh from does to does we had one where, where they were looking for windy um by giving us a clue that was supposed to get us too windy um and so on Daily Double Number One is in the Mid-Atlantic States category at the $800 level. Uh, Amy finds it at pick number 17. She's at 5,600. Jamie is at 1,000. David is at 1,600. And she wagers 4,000. Gets clue Mid-Atlantic City, where you'll find the crypt of John Paul Jones. And she guesses what is Philadelphia. Not a bad, like, revolutionary war time guess. Uh, but he was a naval officer, as Ken points out. So he is at Annapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Amy is at 4,600, Jamie is at 1,400, and David is at 3,400. And we get the double Jeopardy round categories, European history, snakes and rivers, writers with style, at home on TV, weights and measures, and backwards and forwards. The writers with style category, all the clues were written in uh, an attempt at the style of the writer whose writing they were referencing. Well, that was pretty good. Yeah. It was a fun gimmick and, you know, pretty well executed, I thought. Mm -hmm. uh, the $800 clue took me back to your Edgar Allan Poe deep dive. That clue was, was I nervous? True. Nervous. Yes. Waiting. Wondering if it was known that he wrote The Premature Burial in 1844. Or was I mad? Um, which, you know, it's a, it's a good approximation of Poe's style. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Amy got that one. Over in the forward and backward category at the $2,000 level, interlacings of strings and a slangy word for one share and a company. <laughs> David got it with what are knots and stonk. Stonk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ken congratulated him on getting to say stonk on Jeopardy. And he's in the dream. <laughs> yes. I was embarrassed that I didn't get that one because um, I think as discussed, my spouse trades stonks for a living and I have been pronouncing it that way to annoy him for a good long while now. So <laughs> well, That's love there, isn't it? Yep. Nobody knew... Uh, in the at-home-on-TV category, the $2,000 level, the first Stranger Things Lego set was of this family's home. It's the Byers family. Yeah. Well, maybe they didn't know which family it was. Maybe they didn't want to take a guess. Yeah. I, I've eyed those Stranger Things Lego sets a couple times at the Lego store, but I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> not yet, you're not. <laughs> Uh, Daily Double number two is at the $1,600 level of Writers with Style, and Amy finds it at just the second pick of the round. She's at $6,600 to Jamie's $1,400 and David's $3,400, and she wagers $3,000 and gets the clue. Um, this is all spelled weird, too. Here beginneth our journey on his summoner's tale, a title made modern as he spelled it summoners s-o-m-o-n-o-u-r-s i'm i'm not uh i mean i can't i can't communicate all the all the weird spelling but it's it's kind of obvious when you look at it this is chaucer uh mm -hmm. and they're referencing the canterbury tales 
And Daily Double number three is at pick number eight, so again, early uh, in the European history category at the $1,200 level. Amy finds it as well. Amy found all three, as she often does. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's at 15,000, yeah, 15,200. Jamie's at 1,400. David's at 3,800. And she wages 5,000. And gets the clue. He fought both the Spanish Christians and the Moors before conquering Muslim Valencia in 1094. And she gets it correct with who is El Cid. Mm-hmm. He's an interesting character, El Cid. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about him. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy has a lock game with 31,000. David is the closest in second place at 10,200. Jamie's at 3,800. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Planned Cities. And the clue, a recent immigrant, Lady Denman, wife of the Governor General, announced the name of this new national capital at a 1913 ceremony. Jamie tried uh, what is Copenhagen. He ha- uh, She had Oslo crossed out. Uh, neither one of those is correct. Uh, she's wagered a dollar, so she that drops her down to thirty-seven ninety-nine. David wrote down what is Australia, and then realized, I guess, that he was uh, asked for about asked, the city. For, asked for the city, not the country. Um, so that's crossed out, and he has Canberra. That is correct, that, and he's wagered two thousand, brings him up to twelve thousand two hundred. And Amy has the correct response. What is Canberra? And has wagered 10,000. Canberra was planned as the capital of Australia uh, and built so as to choose neither Sydney nor Melbourne, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that clue. I mean, with Governor General, that points to, like, Canada or Australia. And then just looking at the date, it's like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also kind of knowing that uh, Australia has the, uh, like, the the capital territory where Canberra is that's not part of any of the states around it Mm, suggests more that it was planned. So there you go. That's what got me there anyway. Oh, and on Thursday, we have the contestants Jessica Morgan, a writer from Pasadena, California, Senate Martin, an attorney from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, who's 11-day cash winnings. Total $421,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories. It's too crowded. Exam time. Fiction. Funny ladies. Ain't that America. And for you and me, with you in quotation marks and M-E in quotation marks. I heard some appropriate objections to exam time, uh, the $600 question. The clue there was, these exams are required for many PhD degrees. For a Stanford history doctorate, you take them in your third year. Senate tried, what are boards? Uh, That was found to be not correct. Um, And they were looking for oral exams. But my understanding is that for PhDs, like, there's a bunch of different things that different institutions call they're orals. Yeah, right. like yeah. Comp- comprehensives, I've heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was pinned in that if you were familiar with the requirements of the history PhD program at Stanford University, then you would know this. Um, right. But. As we all are. Yes. <laughs> um, it's up there with presidents and geography when you're studying for Jeopardy. Yeah, but in order to like have the have the contestants actually 
be able to respond with a with a an educated guess, I think um, a little bit more would have been necessary. Yeah, I, I think. agree. Yeah. Oh, very seasonal. Asking about a Christmas Carol. Hmm. Uh, they wanted to know which which ghost is the first of four to appear to Scrooge. First of four helps you remember that it's not just Christmas, past, present, and future. We start with uh, Marley, Jacob Marley, and the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's Jacob and Robert Marley. <laughs> um, uh, which Joke which for I love. the kids there. Yes, there we go. Um, played by Statler and Waldorf, of course. Of course. Um, yeah. Anyway, Daily Double number one is in that fiction category at the $600 level, and Amy finds it as the eighth pick. She's at $1,600 at this point. Senate is at negative 1,000. Jessica is at zero. And Amy wagers $1,600, makes it a true Daily Double, and gets the clue. Emily is imprisoned in a gloomy castle. That tells you the mysteries of Udolfo is a classic of this big 1790s genre. Um, and she responds, what is gothic fiction? Uh, and Ken says, yes, a goth or gothic romance. Um, so I think they were just looking for gothic yeah. in general here. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy's in the lead with 7,800. Sinnott's at 3,200. Jessica's at 3,800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories from the Greek. Let there be art and music. Sailing the Black Sea. T4... Pop culture Paris and words in elements. Could you say pop culture? Yes. <laughs> Just gotta rub that Paris in my face. Yep. Did you get I, the $2,000 clue in that category? I did. Yes, I did. I got the $2,000 clue. A landmark in video game music is Koji Kondo's score for this Legend of Zelda edition with an instrument in the title. That is the Ocarina of Time. Have, has your family played ocarina of time um i don't think we have i have not really been for game and yeah I think they remastered it but i don't remember yeah what they remastered it for i don't know remember if it's on switch or not yeah i don't i don't think we've done that one but it's one to know for sure yeah i liked the words in elements category they gave you the uh atomic symbol and then um, something about the word they were looking for that is contained within the full name of the element. So um, BR, this possessive pronoun, that's mine from bromine. Uh, at the 800 SI, this a symbol for a program on your computer desktop. That's icon from silicon. Yeah. So those, yeah. Were, those were fun. Yeah, that was, I enjoyed that category as well. The two thousand dollar level of let there be art and music was maybe more accessible to <laughs> learned league players because we just had a question about this artist. Uh, this New Yorker incorporated graffiti into his work and was a celebrity in the art world when he died at age twenty seven in nineteen eighty eight. They had a picture on the screen. Uh, Basquiat or Basquiat sure. is uh, is the person they were looking for here. Yep. Yep, and Amy got that one. 
also in that let there be art and music category at the 8800 uh 8800 at the $800 level um we had the clue nearly 2200 years old and carved from marble she's from Milos but resides in Paris she now has a tough time shaking hands senate rang in and said what who is venus and ken said um more specifically and he said he ended up saying who is venus de milo and pronounced it in a way that made it made it pretty clear why he hadn't gone straight right. there right because yeah. milo is like right in the name right in, yeah. right in the right in the clue yeah. um yeah venus de milo de milo is from milos um right. yeah I thought it was an an interesting, interesting moment. Yeah. 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 It's fine. Daily double number two is in the sailing the Black Sea category at the $1,600 level. Senate finds it. He is at $4,400. Amy is at $13,400. Jessica's at $3,800. And he bets it all as well. He should catch up to Amy. You got to do that. Mm -hmm. He gets a clue. It's alphabetically last of the countries that border the Black Sea. And he guesses what is Turkmenistan. But unfortunately, Ukraine also borders the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. And so it is Ukraine. Yes. So he drops to zero. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in that words in elements category at the $2,000 level and Amy finds it at the 15th pick. Uh, she has 19,400 at this point. Uh, Senate is still at zero. Jessica's at 3,800. She wagers 9,000, which, you know what? Like, I like it. Like, yeah. if, she, if she misses, she's still going to have a almost, yeah, a good lead. All, between two and three times as much. A second place. She gets the clue, I, this all father. And she gets this one correct. Uh, she says, who is Odin? So I is iodine. And uh, you drop the I off the beginning and the E off the end, you get Odin. I thought that was really fun. That was, yeah. That yeah. Was yep. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy is in an easy lock position at 36,800 Senate's at 4,800 and Jessica's at 3,000 and we get the final Jeopardy category journalists in history and the clue Bismarck Tribune correspondent Mark Kellogg died June 25th 1876 while on a field assignment covering this man Uh, Jessica didn't get a name down she just wrote who is that's incorrect uh, Senate got it correct, though, with who is General Custer, and he wagered 4000 And Amy also got it correct with who is Custer, and she wagered a mere $25,000 mm-hmm. to end at $61,800. Show that's off. Just astounding. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't blame great. her. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, you like, yeah. Make of money. Yeah. Make that money. That's very, very impressive. So on Friday, December 3rd, we have the contestants Andrew Raffner, a set decorator from Thousand Oaks, California, Brooke Sachs, a user experience designer from Washington, D.C., and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 12-day cash winnings total $483,000. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, the Franco-Prussian War, It's a Science, 
Animal mascots, uh, you need to name the type of animal that each company uses. Trending, Canadian sports, and you get a C. C in quotation marks. The $200 clue of animal mascots. I believe we've already talked in depth on the podcast. That About... was Chuck, e- Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. And uh, Brooke got that right with what's a mouse. He's not a rat. It's important mm-hmm. to note that. Mm-hmm. He's a mouse. Charles Entertainment. En- Entertainment cheese. Cheese. Yep. And I think I did mention that his backstory is like he was an orphan. <laughs> and like it's it's a it's a dark backstory and like why does he need to have a backstory? I don't know. But he does. Oh man, Chuck E. Cheese. This pandemic has changed me and now I think about going to Chuck E. Cheese and I'm like, that seems like a cesspool of disease. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I mean, probably I already would have had that thought process before the pandemic. But like now I just think about going to a Chuck E. Cheese and like my my pandemic alarms start going off. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. Why would I do that? That's a Mm -hmm. bad idea. It's a bad idea. Because before it was like, it's a little pricey, but it entertains the kids and I don't have to. Yeah. And we just got to make sure we wash our hands. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, "Mm, nope, we're going to die. Yeah. I was going to say the contestants did fine with the Canadian sports category, but I guess by that, I mean, Amy ran the Canadian sports category. Did, did Ken acknowledge it? She did it a little bit out of order. She did the whole category as a unit. It was not top to bottom. Yeah. But I, I, I noticed specifically this week that she did get applause multiple times on running categories. Okay. Because I know we've talked about that. We haven't heard it in a long time, but she mm-hmm. got acknowledged. Yeah. So... So I think that was one of the moments. Yeah, she got seven correct answers in a row mm-hmm. uh, running Canadian sports and getting and then getting the first two of the Franco-Prussian War before another contestant got in. Yeah, which was really the trajectory for the entire game. Yep. But we'll get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Daily Double number one is in It's a Science at the $1,000 level. It's pick number 25, Amy finds it. Uh, she is at... 6,200 at this point. Brooke is up to 4,000. Andrew's at 3,200. So it's a fairly close game. Uh, and she wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. German, A German zoologist coined the name of this branch of biology that studies the relationship between organisms and their environments. Uh, and she gets it correct with what is ecology. Mm-hmm. And from that point, it is not close anymore. <laughs> yep. Because uh, at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, she has extended her lead to 11,000 over Brooks 4,400 and Andrews 3,200. And we have the Double Jeopardy categories, novels, put up your dukes, pulling into town, town in quotation marks, it's hyphenated, Dennis Quaid movie roles, and eponyms. That Dennis Quaid movie roles category was... Painful. Rough. So painful. Uh, I wouldn't have done any better. I only knew the the one that got a correct response. Oh, yeah. Did you? Did you know the others? Uh, I knew three of them. And I recognized the other two when they said the names. Yeah, I, I recognized some of the movies, that, although most of them I hadn't seen. I was trying to think of any Dennis Quaid movies when the category came out and the only one that came to mind was frequency for whatever reason. Yeah, no, I definitely think of the rookie. I remember it being hyped up so much. 
uh, but they they did not get that one. You know what? It's probably because I like time travel. That's probably why Frequency was the only one that came to me. Probably. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was hard to watch. It, uh, at, and at the end of the the round, when uh, when Ken said, he said, "I don't think Dennis Quaid let us down. I think we're letting him down." <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Also, nobody knew um, about a town near me. Um, in the 2000 level of pulling into town, uh, Sleepy Hollow in New York's Westchester County was known as North This until 1996. It's Terrytown. North Terrytown changed its name to Sleepy Hollow to, you know, kind of... Honor or make money off of? Uh, more, more the second one, but maybe both. But yeah, Terrytown is... I don't know, like a couple towns north of, like I drive over to Terrytown for coffee sometimes mm. because there's a coffee shop there because it's close enough to, to, you know, to go to, there's coffee shops, you know, there, there's coffee shops in between, but like there's a coffee shop I like and it's, you know, it's, it's close to here to, to where I am like that, you know, like, but, oh, I'll just pop over there and get a coffee. But perhaps far enough away that you won't necessarily run into anybody, you know? Yeah. Which for me is a consideration because it's like, I want to get a cup of coffee and not have to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you have the, the kind of job where you would be out at the regular coffee shop and end up having conversations about your job where basically you're doing your job. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Clergy know what I'm talking about. Hello. <laughs> uh, Daily Double number two is in the novels category at the $1,200 level. Andrew finds it at the 10th pick. He's at 2,400 to Amy's 15,800 and Brooks 4,400. He makes it a true daily double, which is, you know, the the most he can do. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if he could have gone bigger, he would have because woof, Amy is far ahead. Um, but he makes it a true daily double and gets the clue. This Leon Uris novel portraying Israel's birth is about 10 times longer than the Bible book of the same name. And he gets it correct with what is Exodus. And uh, Daily Double number three is in the pulling into town category at the $1,600 level. It's pick number 25 and Amy finds it. She is up at 27800 by this point. Brooke is still at 4800 uh, and Andrew is at 4000 she wages 6000 She gets a clue. In 1862, Confederate General John Magruder followed in Cornwallis's footsteps in having a very bad day in this historic place. And she gets it correct with what is Yorktown. She had previously guessed Cornwallis on another clue uh, in the game. I don't remember which one, but it was incorrect mm-hmm. then. But now Ken notes that Cornwallis helps her out. Yep, that's right. I liked that. liked that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy is in a lock position with 33,400. Brooks at 4,800, Andrews at 4,000. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Organizations, and the clue, in the U.S. and its territories, this nonprofit, whose roots trace to 1980, fulfills a word in its name every 34 minutes. Andrew has um, not come up with a guess. He writes down, what is IDK? LOL. Uh, if you're if you're not abbreviation savvy, that's I don't know. Laughing out loud. Presumably Whoa. everybody knows LOL at this point. 
And Ken makes a joke about how that sounds like a labor union or something could be mm-hmm. an organization, which I thought was fun. Uh, he's wagered 2000, so he drops down to 2000. Brooke tried what is Feed the Children? Is there an organization called Feed the Children? Probably. I know Save yeah. the Children. Yeah, there is. Feed, Feed the Children is a nonprofit organization established in 1979 and headquartered in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. So, okay. yeah. Real United States nonprofit. And she's close on the on the date. But yeah, no, that doesn't that doesn't fit. She's wagered 3,999, uh, dropping her down to 801. So looks like she will finish in third. And Amy got this one correct with what is Make-A-Wish. This is the Make-A-Wish Foundation. They fulfill a wish once every 34 minutes on average. That's impressive. impressive. Mm-hmm. I don't grant that many wishes. Yeah. I, I do not either. And she's wagered 20,000. So that brings her up to 53,400 for this game and gives her a 13-day total of 536,400. That moves her into fourth place in all-time regular season winnings, right behind Matt Amodio, Matt I think. Matt Amodio, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that... that uh... He was just here a minute ago. Right, I was going to say, like that... That old established Jeopardy character, Matt Amodio, mm-hmm. been around a long time. Yep. Strange times we live in. Yeah. So this is, it's very thrilling. It is. I, I have to say, though, I, I'm feeling a little bit desensitized to how truly incredible it is. Mm-hmm. Because we have had five super champions this season. Yeah. Yeah. I got nothing more to add. It's just incredible. Yeah, it really is. So this is the moment in the episode where we take a break before we go on to our deep dive. And we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. If you have a couple bucks a month to throw our way to help us with the costs of this podcast, it would be greatly appreciated. And we do really appreciate all of you who have already um, pledged your support there. Um, We try to put up some content. We don't put up as much as we, you know, I think ideally would love to. Um, (laughs) But we're we're getting some things on there. Um, One thing that we have started doing, and I think we'll be able to be consistent with is uh, Patreon supporters get to see the quiz questions before the episode goes live. As soon as we finish recording, we um, we just put those on there for you to take a look at uh, while we are editing and whatnot. If you have limited funds, we feel like supporting the media you care about is good, um, but not as important as um, causes uh, more focused on social justice and, you know, really making the world a better place. So a couple that we care about are blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, and the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe. So you can check out links to those in our show notes as well. So Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? Uh, Yes, I do. Are we talking about the Duke of Wellington? We are not talking about the Duke of Wellington. Are we talking about mm, the right stuff? We're not. Uh, are we talking about Somerset Mom? We're not talking about oh, Somerset Mom. What are we talking about? Um, but uh, it is sort of literary-ish in nature. Um, 
I, I started going back through the week's uh, games looking for good triple stumpers, and I did not get any further than the first round of the Monday game in the play characters category. The clue was in a classic American play, his first line is bellowing, hey there, Stella baby. Um, nobody got that one. It's Stanley, Stanley Kowalski in Streetcar Named Desire, a streetcar named Desire. And I thought, hey, let's talk about Streetcar, because okay. that's that's an important play and film and, you know, cultural touchstone and uh i've seen the film uh, a film there's more than one i have seen a film as well yeah <laughs> i've seen i have seen the most famous film version of streetcar huh. um i also saw a broadway revival at one point but there's a there's there's quite a bit of uh streetcar stuff out there so i thought i'd uh explore that a little bit so a Streetcar Named Desire is a play written by Tennessee Williams. It was first performed on Broadway on December 3rd, 1947. And Tennessee Williams is a pen name. I should have known before looking into this, but uh, <laughs> uh, his, his birth name is Thomas Lanier Williams III, um, but Tennessee Williams was his pen name. He was born in 1911. Uh, Tennessee Williams had already become famous and successful when uh, when Streetcar premiered. Um, he sort of had his big break with The Glass Menagerie, which was on Broadway in 1944. Um, and he'd been writing for some years before that, before having a play really kind of, you know, breakthrough and, you know, be successful in that way. Streetcar is, uh, it's a pretty small cast. There are four central characters to know. And then Three other characters with names and a handful of unnamed characters, um, and it is set in New Orleans. I don't imagine that's news to anybody, but there you go. It opens um, with none of those four major characters on stage, um, but you know, a neighbor is sitting on the porch with another unnamed character. As we see, Stanley and his friend Mitch; those are you know two of the two of the really central ones. Come home, and Stanley calls Stella. As the as the clue indicates, I'm not going to like describe the whole play beat by beat, you know. But like as the first, you know, as we set the scene, I'll I'll go in a little more detail and then I'll kind of get to more summarizing. Um, this surprised me. Um, so Stanley in the script is described as being about 28 to 30 years old, and Stella is described as being about 25. So keep those numbers in mind. Um, uh, so Stanley and Mitch leave to go bowling and Stella follows and then Blanche arrives. Um, Blanche is described as being about five years older than Stella. So okay. like 30. Right. Right. Which just blew my mind because Blanche Dubois as this like, you know, sort of aging, like decrepit, but trying to hide it. Faded Southern Belle is right. like this iconic character. And I'm like, I'm sorry. She is. She is. She's. She's thirty. She she's thirty years old. Okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yes. Oh goodness gracious! Yeah. <laughs> Routinely played by actresses in their like sixties or older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, she's she is daintily dressed. Um, the the original Tennessee Williams script says her delicate beauty must avoid a strong light. There is something about her uncertain manner as well as her white clothes that suggests a moth. Um, so she arrives with a suitcase. She seems shocked at the place. She's sure she must be in the wrong place. 
Um, but the neighbor lets her into Stella and Stanley's small flat and makes conversation with her, uh, mentions what she knows of Blanche from Stella, that Blanche is from Mississippi, that she's a teacher, that her family estate is called Belle Reve, uh, beautiful dream. Mm. And uh, Blanche asks to be left alone, and the, the neighbor Eunice goes to fetch Stella. Um, and then while she's alone, Blanche finds a bottle of whiskey and takes a shot and then puts it away. Stella returns and they have, you know, they have a reunion, um, initially happy. And then um, Blanche lets some comments slip about, you know, her her attitude toward the, the setting in which Stella is living, asks if she can have a drink, but reassures Stella that she, you know, she isn't a drunk. Mm-hmm. And then uh, explains that she's come to New Orleans because her her nerves have forced her to take a leave of absence from her job as a school teacher. And uh, she she expresses some worry about staying with Stella and Stanley in their small flat. There's, you know, there's no door, you know, concerns about privacy, um, no door between the rooms. She makes some disparaging comments about Stanley, his class, and she reveals that she has lost the family's home. She mm. talks about the deaths of their parents and relatives. She blames Stella for running off to New Orleans and leaving it all behind. Um, and Stella finally cuts her off and, and runs away. And Stanley returns. Um, so he starts to make some small talk, pulls the whiskey bottle out of the closet, notices that it's running low. He offers Blanche a drink. We, the audience, know that she's already had a couple, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she declines, saying, oh, no, I rarely drink. Uh, and he changes his t-shirt in front of Blanche. Uh, his, he offends her modesty, you know, by change. That's sort of an iconic scene. He asks what happened to Blanche's marriage. And Blanche replies that the boy died and then declares that she feels ill. And it also comes out in sort of this part of the play that Stella is going to have a baby. We move along to a, a poker game where, where Stanley has some, uh, some other men over, including Mitch, um, who we've who we've seen before, and uh, a rapport grows between Mitch and Blanche, and then there's a there is a scene where Stanley explodes in a, in rage and, and hits Stella. Uh, Blanche and Stella go to take refuge with the upstairs neighbor Eunice, and then Stanley cries from the from the courtyard below for Stella to come back. Uh, so that's that's the that's the Stella scene. Mm-hmm. She returns to him. Blanche and Mitch sit in the courtyard, and Mitch sort of apologizes for Stanley's behavior to Blanche. Blanche is bewildered that, about Stella returning to Stanley, and you know starts criticizing Stanley to Stella the next day. But Stella is assuring Blanche that the two of them are fine. Stanley overhears the conversation, but doesn't let on. And the friction between Blanche and Stanley continues to grow as the as the play grows on, go, goes on, uh, grows on. <laughs> Blanche seems to sort of put her hope in something developing with Mitch. She's telling Stella that she wants to go away with him and not be anyone's problem. And then in a in a conversation between the two of them, she confesses to Mitch that she had been married to a man whom she later discovered in a liaison with an older man. Mm. And that her husband then uh, then took his life. And uh, Mitch expresses empathy um, and like alludes to something in his own life. 
later on, however, um, Stanley tells Stella that he has he's gotten some some uh, heard some gossip about Blanche that she was she's not on a leave for her for her you know nervous breakdown she was fired um, because she was romantically involved with an underage student um, and that she had lived at a hotel known for um, known for prostitutes you know sort of living and operating there Ooh. yeah and Stanley tells Stella that he has told Mitch all of this as well they start to fight. But Stella goes into labor and off to the hospital. Blanche is at home alone. Mitch arrives and confronts her uh, with what he's heard. She denies everything, but then she confesses and pleads for forgiveness. And Mitch rejects her. Stella is off in the hospital giving birth. And Stanley and Blanche are alone in the apartment. And there's a confrontation between the two of them. Blanche has this fantasy that um, an old suitor of hers, a very wealthy man, is going to come take her away. And then Stanley he goes along with it at first and then becomes angry at her. And then she threatens to attack him with a broken bottle. And there's a there's a scene of, of sexual assault here in, at this point where he rapes her. Um, how how explicitly that's depicted has varied in various uh, adaptations. And then in the next scene, uh, it's again a poker game at the Kowalski apartment. Stella and the neighbor Eunice are packing Blanche's belongings. Blanche has had a mental breakdown. She's told Stella about the assault, but Stella can't bring herself to believe it. And then at that point, two two figures, a, a doctor and a nurse, arrive to take Blanche to um to a, a mental hospital or an insane asylum or you know mm-hmm. whatever i'm not sure how it's referred to in the script uh she resists them and then she collapses on the collapses on the floor, floor in confusion and mitch who's there playing poker breaks down in tears the doctor helps blanche up and she goes along with him to uh you know to to be institutionalized um saying the famous line whoever you are i've always depended on the kindness of strangers and that's where the play ends. So that's that's uh, that's the plot. Uh, the original Broadway production opened at the Schubert Theater in New Haven in in early November 1947. Moved to Philadelphia for a little bit, and then opened on Broadway in the Ethel Barrymore Theater on December 3, 1947. Um, it was produced by Irene Meyer Selznick and directed by Ilya Kazan um, before he you know kind of made the jump to more screen than stage. And the original Broadway production starred Marlon Brando as Stanley, uh, same for him, Jessica Tandy as Blanche, Kim Hunter as Stella, and Carl Malden as Mitch. Um, later in the run, Uta Hagen replaced Jessica Tandy, and some of the other uh, some of the other stars were replaced as well. And the show went on a national tour and then returned to Broadway for additional performances. Uta Hagen as Blanche on the national tour was directed not by Ilya Kazan, who was who had directed the Broadway production, but by Harold Klurman. And it's been reported in interviews by Hagen and observations by uh, critics of the time that her interpretation and and that director um, sort of shifted the focus of the audience sympathy toward Blanche and away from Stanley, where the Ilya Kazan version um, had had located it more. Um, The original Broadway production 
received the Tony Award for Best Actress in a Play for Jessica Tandy, the 1948 Pulitzer Prize for Drama, um, and the 1948 New York Drama Critics Circle Best Play Award. It closed in 1949 after 855 performances. And uh, production started to open elsewhere. There was one in Greece. The London production was directed by Laurence Olivier um, and starred Vivian Lee as Blanche. And then it went on into um, the first and most famous film adaptation, uh, which was released in 1951. It was a Warner Brothers film um, directed by Ilya Kazan. Malden, Brando, and Hunter reprised their Broadway roles. Um, but Jessica Tandy was replaced by Vivian Lee, who was more of a household name. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming, you know, from the from the London production to star as Blanche in the film. On the release of the film, Marlon Brando, who had been virtually unknown at the time of the play's casting, rose to stardom uh, in Hollywood. And for this film, he received the first of four consecutive Academy Award nominations for Best Actor. Uh, the film earned uh, an estimated four. million at the U.S. and Canadian box office in 1951. It was the fifth biggest hit of the year. Uh, The play's themes were controversial, probably gathered. Uh, So the screenplay had to be, of course, modified. It was 1951 uh, to comply with the Hollywood production code. So the reference to Blanche's husband's homosexual uh, affair, it was removed. And she instead said something about her husband's sensitive nature. Yeah, okay. uh, she makes some vague references that sort of imply the original, if you're familiar, but never comes out and explicitly states it. The rape scene is cut short in the film, um, instead ending dramatically when Blanche smashes the mirror with the broken bottle in a failed attempt at self-defense. At the end of the film, rather than having uh, Stella kind of mutely allowing Stanley to console her, we see Stella blaming Stanley for Blanche's fate and resolving to leave him. Uh, mm. So, you know, kind of trying to give us a some more hope, le- sure. a less bleak ending. Uh, there are some autobiographical details behind some of the characters and themes uh, from Tennessee Williams' own life. The character of Blanche is thought to be based on his sister, Rose Williams, who struggled with mental health problems and ultimately had a lobotomy done Ooh. and became incapacitated. The success of Streetcar enabled Williams to finance his sister's care. He um, he designated a certain percentage of the proceeds to her to, to pay for the care that she required. The relationship between Stanley and Blanche, his sort of loathing for her kind of prim and proper attitude was likely inspired by Williams' own parents. His, his father was kind of a little bit uh, more kind of working working class and um, had an aversion to his mother's kind of Southern Belle heirs. Mm. Tennessee Williams was gay. That's, you know, that's sort of well known at this point. Um, It was the, you know, it was the 1930s and 40s as he was kind of shaping his career. So it was, it was uh, controversial and, you know, not as public at that time. But um, the stuff about Blanche's late husband um, likely, likely taps in to some of that. He had some early relationships with women um, before becoming part of a gay social circle in New York and having kind of a series of relationships and then finally finding enduring love with an actor named Frank Merlot, who also became his personal secretary. The film um, won four Academy Awards. Uh, It set an Oscar record, becoming the first film to win in three of the acting categories. Marlon Brando didn't win, um, but the other, the actors playing the other three 
won. Marlon Brando was nominated. Uh, the only other film to have that same achievement, uh, winning in three of the acting categories, uh, was Network in 1976. Mm. And uh, Streetcar also won for, for art direction, so four Academy Awards for the film. Um, it's ranked 45th on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies list, uh, and two of the quotes from the film are on their quotes list. Um, uh, Stella scene and uh, I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. I think those are ranked like 45 and 75. There have been a lot of other adaptations and revivals. It's uh, it's a it's a play that's put on a lot. So, you know, we obviously can't cover all or, you know, even really even. Yeah, (laughs) there have been numerous all black productions or um, like intentionally like multiracial. And the first was super early. Probably the first one was in August 1953, uh, performed by the Summer Theater Company at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri, and directed by one of Tennessee Williams' former classmates, Thomas Pauly. And uh, it's a it's a play that often has um, kind of interesting casting decisions, like gender gender reversals in casting and, and different stuff like that. The first Broadway revival was in 1973 produced by Lincoln Center at the Vivian Beaumont Theater with Rosemary Harris as Blanche, James Ferentino as Stanley, and Patricia Connolly as Stella. Um, There was a 1984 uh, television version featuring Anne Margaret as Blanche, Treat Williams as Stanley, Beverly D'Angelo as Stella, and Randy Quaid as Mitch. There was a spring 1988 revival at the Circle in the Square Theater in New York with Aidan Quinn, Blythe Danner, and Frances McDormand as Stella. People really want to be in this one. It's like it's, it's all all of the all the revivals. When you look at them, they're you know big names. Some of them have really stuck around, and others I've had to look up. And then and then it's like oh yeah, they were those those were those were you know big stars for the time. Mm-hmm. There was a revival in 1992 with Alec Baldwin as Stanley and Jessica Lange as Blanche. At the same theater, the Ethel Barrymore Theater, theater uh, where the original production was staged. This one was super successful and was filmed for television. And the TV version, which was released in 1995, had John Goodman as Mitch and Diane Lane as Stella. And then, of course, in 1992, The Simpsons had their episode, A Streetcar Named Marge, um, where, where Marge Simpson gets a role in a musical version mm-hmm. of Streetcar named Oh Streetcar. Uh, she plays Blanche. Ned Flanders is Stanley. I just watched it before recording this podcast. <laughs> it's great. Uh, the 2005 Broadway revival had uh, John C. Riley as Stanley, uh, mm-hmm. Natasha Richardson as Blanche. And this production was Natasha Richardson's final appearance on Broadway prior to her death in 2009 after a skiing accident. Uh, There was a multiracial adaptation on Broadway in 2012 starring Blair Underwood, Nicole Ari Parker, Daphne Rubin-Vega, and Wood Harris. Um, I actually, that's the the one I saw. And uh, and there have been some some other kinds of adaptations too. Um, A 1995 opera composed by Andre Previn, had its premiere at the San Francisco Opera during the uh, 1998-1999 season uh, with Renee Fleming as Blanche. There have also been several ballet adaptations, um, Hmm. one of which used, like, portions of the film score, if I understand correctly. 
Interesting. Yeah. So it's a it's an important, you know, piece of uh, of American theater and film culture. And, um, you know, that's that's pretty much what I've got about it. Okay, that's a lot more than I need. Yeah. So um, are you ready for a quiz? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, This quiz is called A Streetcar Named. So the title, A Streetcar Named Desire, is drawn from a real streetcar line in New Orleans. Um, the, The line ran through the French Quarter, terminating at Desire Street, uh, so you could actually take a streetcar named Desire. And the names of the New Orleans streetcar lines are evocative and uh, rich and connected to history and literature. And, you know, so I, uh, I'm i not necessarily drawing on the actual namesakes of all of these streets, but I, 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 found, the, I found the list of New Orleans streetcar lines and I was like, oh, yeah, we can do this. So um, question one, a streetcar named Napoleon. <laughs> Depending on who you ask, the Napoleon pastry might be an alternate name or a variation of this other dessert. Also known as a vanilla slice or a custard slice, it has layers of puff pastry alternating with pastry cream. The top may be coated with powdered sugar or glazed with icing uh, decorated using like a comb design. By what numerical French name is this pastry known? Numerical French name? Yes. It has been on the Great British Bake Off at some point. Yeah, and I know I I mentioned in this very episode that we watched it, that we watched that show. Um, yeah. It was a while ago that it was on Great British Bake Off if I what? if my if the internet serves me. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to picture it. Okay, so you said it's layers of of puff pastry and and, and like pastry cream like Oh, pastry cream. Oh, yeah, oh, creme. Like yeah. Uh, okay. Yes, creme <laughs> pâtissier. I was like, what? What do the British people call it? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. creme pat. <laughs> um. Oh, is it Milfoy? It is Milfoy. Okay. Ooh. I was yeah. like numerical, trying to come up with like French like numbers. I was like, un, deux, trois. <laughs> like, is there a trois something? Uh, go. Yes. Yeah, Milfoy means like a thousand a thousand layers or like a thousand leaves. Yeah. That one's for you, Mary Berry. Yep, there we go. Yay. Regionally, sometimes Milfoy and Napoleon are used interchangeably, or sometimes Napoleon is like a Milfoy but with frangipan instead of uh instead of pastry mm-hmm. cream creme pat. Alright, you're at ten points. And question two, a streetcar named magazine. Okay. Presumably, like, in reference to, like... A like, military magazine. Yeah, a military base. But, you know what, I'm taking it in a different direction. Um, the top circulating magazines in the United States are those published by uh, the AARP and Costco. Uh, because those <laughs> those entities mail a publication to every member, or in Costco's case, every member at a certain level. Um, so those, those have circulations of 23 million and 12 million, respectively. Uh, but after those, the next highest circulation uh, is a publication which promises improved domiciles and grounds. What is the title of this periodical, founded in 1922, with a circulation of 7.6 million? If it, I mean, the only thing I can think of is better homes and gardens. That is correct. 
Better cool. Homes and Gardens, originally named Fruit Garden and Home. Okay. Yeah, it was founded in 1922 with the name Fruit Garden and Home, uh, and they changed it to Better Homes and Gardens in 1924. Okay. Yeah. I'll accept that. Um, yeah. Uh, the Better Homes and Gardens Wikipedia page also brings up The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what doesn't bring up The Simpsons? I know. Um, yeah, Mar- there's a there's an episode where where Marge Simpson has um, a copy on her table or something um and the title there is better homes than yours um <laughs> which <laughs> yes yeah um all right you're at 20 points i, I was i was trying to <laughs> make my quiz less inaccessible <laughs> than they have been the last the last few times so hopefully hopefully it holds off holds out all right question three a streetcar named annunciation the term Annunciation most commonly refers to the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary that she would conceive and give birth to Jesus. On what logically appropriate day is the Feast of the Annunciation celebrated? Logically appropriate. Well, if the idea is that she is going to give birth in nine months... Then I gotta go nine months back from Christmas, which is March 25th. I think the Annunciation is in the spring. I'm gonna go March 25th. March 25th is correct. Nice. So here's the thing, though. I had always assumed that they took the date of Christmas and counted back nine months. But in fact, March 25th as the date of the Annunciation seems to predate... Uh, consensus around a date for Christmas. And it, so if anything, they took the date of the Annunciation and counted forward. Weird. And, yeah. And the, the reason that they were, that like early Christians were set on the, the Annunciation date is that there was this belief that you die on the same day you're conceived which seems like a weird claim, but okay. And that there's something yeah. sort of, you know, uh, a, a nice symmetry to um, to to the beginning and the end of Jesus's life, sharing a date. Okay. And and they were for whatever reason sure that March 25th was the date of the crucifixion. I'm a hmm. minister and just heard this for the first time today, but. I found a bunch of things claiming it, you know, like reasonably, reasonably reliable sources That's referencing weird. this. Yeah. Yeah. So, but March 25th is correct. Uh, the Feast of the Annunciation is celebrated on March 25th. Or if uh, if March 25th happens to fall during the Paschal Triduum, that's like, you know, Maundy mm-hmm. Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, then it's then it gets moved to uh, to not coincide, um, you know, to be observed on a different day. Yeah, you're at 30 points. Nice. Question four, a streetcar named Cleo. We've talked before about the nine muses on the podcast. Um, Calliope is the muse of epic poetry. Thalia is the muse of comedy. Terpsichore is the muse of dance. Of what discipline, more academic than artistic, is Cleo the Muse? Oh. Essay writing. Um, mm, more academic than artistic. 
that's really hard. What? Like, ah, uh, 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 astronomy. That's what I'm going to go with. That's not a bad guess. Um, she is the muse of history. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Urania is the muse of astronomy, um, which is the other discipline that I that I thought was, you know, we hmm. we would think of as academic among like, the among the things artistic. that the uh, yeah. Yeah, the others are various kinds of poetry, comedy and tragedy, music mm-hmm. and dance. Um, but yeah. Cleo, the muse of history, and Urania, the muse of astronomy. I thought for a, a little bit about finding some way to ask about the muses as represented in the Disney movie Hercules, <laughs> but I couldn't quite make it work. Um, but there are only five of the muses in Hercules, but they are like they are very clear about which five there are and which one is which. Um, so Cleo is there, and she is the one with the ponytail. Also, Calliope, Thalia, Terpsichore, and Melpomene. Uh, the Muse of Tragedy. Okay. All right. So you're still at 30, but we're doing fine. I thought that was probably one of my hardest questions. Yeah, that was fine. All right. Question five. A streetcar named Tulane. Tulane University was founded as the Medical College of Louisiana in 1834 and renamed after a major donor in 1884. Notable alumni of the institution include John Kennedy Toole, Newt Gingrich, Lauren Hutton, and this figure, who had a political career in Cincinnati, briefly serving as mayor before pivoting to entertainment, where he became a household name as the host of an eponymous tabloid talk show. Who is this notable alum? Tabloid talk show. I I have a leaning, and I'm not sure why. But I want to say Jerry Springer. You are correct. Nice. It's Jerry Springer. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever encountered... I think there was like a a radio story I heard way back, like maybe an episode of This American Life or something, talking about like Jerry Springer's political career as like a very like, you know, dedicated and like serious like public servant before he became like the Jerry Springer show guy. Yeah. He he did he had a scandal that led to him leaving politics or you know kind of not being able you know, it was it, it's right. not great but yeah like seemed like he really started off like you know wanting to like you know run for public office and make the world a better place and ended up <laughs> somewhere else entirely um, yeah so I don't know if you'd ever encountered that story no. maybe it was uh, it's it's uh, it's worth looking up. He's a, he is a more interesting figure than I had realized. Um, yeah. All right. So you're at 40 points and we're going to f- call our final category American authors. American authors. I don't feel good about that. So I'm going to only go with 20. 20. All right. So for 60 points, this question is a streetcar named Jackson. The Haunting of Hill House, The Lottery, and We Have Always Lived in the Castle are works by this noted Jackson, who was featured in a Jeopardy clue not too long ago. Yep. I mean, I mean, I don't think I'm gonna... A name came to mind. I think it's right. I don't think I'm gonna work my way around to anything else. So I'm gonna say Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson is correct. Yes, I remember Yay. the thing. 
Yes, I need to read some of those. Oh, yes, you do. Get that name firmly entrenched in my brain. So I just listened to the Misinformation podcast episode about Shirley Jackson, and it Mm. was great. I believe that. Yeah, um, give that a listen. But also, like, the lottery, I think you can read in, like, 10 minutes. Maybe, maybe 15, maybe 20. And it's, oh my gosh. I read The Haunting of Hill House maybe last year, and I think it was maybe the best thing I read that year. Oh, yeah. Uh, Shirley Jackson is a genius, and um, people should read her work. I've put, I put We Have Always Lived in the Castle on my list for this coming year. All right. So, hey, uh, I'm going to stop singing Shirley Jackson's praise and congratulate you on your 60 points. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That was an enjoyable quiz and, and deep dive. That's what, we, that's what we aim for here at Potent Potables. And thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating or review if you'd be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. We will be back next week for the first week of the professor's tournament. We forgot to talk about that. Oh, hey, yeah. here comes the professor's tournament. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.